how can you be part of a religious community that straight up sometimes it feels like the church is trying to hold the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the why are they so obsessed with keep trying to give answers i would never be a part of a church that is not welcoming the church is the most vocal political voice against some churches still the one they claim that worship was the actual how can your story be good that is from the majority of people on the church end up going to hell? Like, how is that actually good? It seems like so much of the church is more concerned with being a good anti-critical than they are being homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. <sighs> the church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy. And today, our special guest is Justin McRoberts. And Justin is an author, coach, speaker, and songwriter. He's the author of six books, including the upcoming book, Sacred Strides, which is coming out May 30th. And I will have this episode up right around that time. So it's either just about to come out if you're listening to this or just came out. So either way, if it hasn't come out, you can pre-order it. If it has, you can go find it on Amazon right now. And for over 20 years, Justin has helped artists, ministers, and entrepreneurs find their way from the stage through his stories and books or during coaching sessions. He leans on his years of work and expertise as a minister and artist to help individuals and teams solve problems in their creative processes. And when he's not writing, speaking, or coaching, you can find him as the host of the At Sea podcast. And he lives still in the East San Francisco Bay Martinez, California, bro. Okay. So still up there. So I'm going to stop there. Justin, thank you so much for being with me personally and being with the listeners today. Heck yeah, dude. It's good to see you again. Yeah, man. It's fun. I think think it might've been like, uh, we've texted a little bit. I think the last time we talked, talk is you were on my pod talking about your most recent book. Yeah. It's probably within a few months ago, maybe ish. Uh, Something like that. Yeah. No, I enjoy, I really enjoy these times together. Uh, and we're also, for people listening, today's May 17th. So we're just coming off the Lakers victory, obviously, over the Warriors. I grew up in L.A. I didn't know if you knew that. So our house is... You got to uh, there, huh? You got to there? It's a strong... There's a strong Lakers energy in the house right now. Yesterday, just game one. It doesn't matter. We figured some things out in the second half. So... I like know. how that's a little... By the way, I like that that's how LeBron said it. He's like, yeah, you know, we figured some things out. It's like... What things you feel like figured out as a, as a look, look, yes, I think you might have figured it. out that they're better than you because that's what I feel like you might have figured out. Denver's a uh, squad. Yeah. So now it's been it's been fun in the house doing that. Um, you know, the opening the opening to my first book, I told this story. And it was when I was 24 and I was still living in Costa Mesa at the time. And I was like on a walk at night, just contemplative walk, not doing anything right. We're just present to ourselves, present to God, however people say that. And I had this moment, this like inner dialogue that went like this. The first voice said, you know, there's some moments you just know, right? And then the second voice said, know what? And the first voice said, I don't know, but you just do real and that is so much of when we talk about the difference between spiritual intelligence and what we believe or how we hold our beliefs and spiritual experience like that story captures so much you know but once i start to conceptualize it or categorize it or explain it that i don't know i don't know you know when especially if we're talking about certainty and a cognitive level and all that 
So, you know, for a person who has been on the spiritual path for a long time, been a pastor, given their life to this way of Jesus and had allowed that to express itself in so many different ways. What are a couple moments where you've had that, you know, you just know where that is, you know, and I know at different times in our life, there's different atmospheres, different experiences, different ways we would explain it at that time. But what are a couple of those moments for you along the way? Yeah, so I, I, I will I'll, uh, frame this by um, referencing the Tao Te Ching, which um, I, I read the Tao, I, I'm guessing I was like 17 for the first time. Um, and the opening line of the Tao Te Ching is uh, the name that can be named is not the eternal name. Mm. And I was scandalized by that. Um, because like as a, I didn't grow up around religion in general, but what I knew about religion what I thought I knew about religion, it's both things are true. <laughs> what, I thought I knew, what I thought I knew about religion, what I knew about religious practice was these were people who, people who like knew God. And what I thought that meant was they knew how God worked. Mm-hmm. They knew like what God did. They have like a framework. They knew God mm-hmm. the way I knew, you know, two plus two equals four algebra mm-hmm. and beyond. And so this notion that the name that can be named is not the eternal name, that like actual spiritual knowledge, this is part of what he's getting at, or to some degree, is like actual spiritual knowledge is a kind of knowing and unknowing at the same time. Mm. I know this thing, but because I know this thing, I can't name this thing. Um, Again, this is this is all the framework to the two, the two moments I'm going to give you. Mm. What I've learned since then is, is that actual knowing is, is relationship and in relationship, it is the mystery. It is the knowing. It is the process. It's the actual. It's it's the fact that there's a next step. I don't that I don't know where it lands. That, that actually propels the energy of actual of actual spiritual relationship. So we're, when we're in healthy relationships, I'm I'm on I'm on the journey with you as you become who you're becoming next, and I'm just going to enjoy the ride and help that. Mm. If I'm an if I'm in an unhealthy relationship. I have things I need you to be. And if you're mm. not those things, I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to be disappointed and I'm mm. probably going to leave. Mm. So um, to, the, the two, the two moments in the, the come from the, I reference in the book, mm. uh, I'll, I'll begin at the end. Cause that's how you write your shit too, is, uh, <laughs> is, you know, tail end of, you know, almost 20 years of building this church culture. Mm. Mm. Um, it fell apart like this church that it was the most important work of my life. I'd never done anything that meant as much to me as being a pastor in this community, loving these people well uh, in the name of Christ. Mm. And it was falling apart in front of my face. And I didn't see that coming. Mm. Um, and uh, because I'd attached myself to the, like certain outcomes, I w- I, it wasn't just that the thing was falling apart and I was going to lose a job. I was internally crumbling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm on a trip and this sounds like this sound it, it's divinely orchestrated which is why it sounds like a fairy tale. Like as things are falling apart, I'm on this, you know, 10-day trip in uh, in India and I'm in mm-hmm. southern India walking through this hotel where an artist had built um uh the sand mandalas. Mm-hmm. He's down the hall building another sand mandala. And I'd seen them the days before, like I see it and he's on the ground, he's, 
building these things. And because I'm watching him down the hall, I don't see the one right in front of me and I step in it. Wow. And I just, I destroyed this thing. My, my dumb 10.5, you know, foot. I crushed this thing. Yeah, yeah, I remember the story. And I immediately so start apologizing. I'm like, bro, I'm so sorry. I mean, I might, I, I might even said a bro. Like, do, don't even think <laughs> it, bro. bro. I'm like, bro, I'm so sorry. He stands up, comes walking towards me. And he's just, he's got this, like, he's not smiling or not smiling. He's just walking at me, nods, gets down on the ground, and just starts kind of putting it back together. And I'm still tangled up in the moment. Like, I'm super affected. I'm apologizing the whole thing. And he's just back at work. And so I don't remember what the line was that I said. But again, it was some form of apology. And he stopped and he looked at me and he said, I don't build them because they last. Mm. And that undid me. Mm. Like, I don't build them because they last. Mm. And I recognized (laughs) that there I was having given myself over to this work because I knew how it was supposed to turn out. And what I was being invited into is like, you, you didn't see this coming. You didn't see how how it was going to end. Can you still embrace the goodness of the work you've done? Can you embrace the goodness of the relationships you've got? Can you see this thing as a good thing, even if it doesn't turn out the way you thought it was going to or wanted to? Mm. Knowing and unknowing in the in in the in the sacred space tend to be the same thing. Mm. Point at which I am attached to something. I've aligned myself with something that really is, and we love to say this in the hallmark way. Like I like to be part of something bigger than me. Mm. We all want to say that, but as soon as you're actually part of something bigger than you, that means you have to let go of the controls. By which you measure the value mm. of the relationship. Mm, yes. So actual religious knowing, actual sacred knowing, actual spiritual knowing is a form of unknowing. Mm. Am I thankful for the years I spent as a pastor? I am. Mm. Do I know the actual good of the thing? I actually don't. Mm-hmm. I have to let go of that mm. so that I can be ha- so that I can actually have been a part of it. So that's the one story. The second story. Um, is, you know, my, my kid, much smaller story. One of my kids, uh, my daughter, who's now six, when she was three, uh, three ish, four, she started getting really attached to my phone. Mm -hmm. Um, like she would pick up the phone and she would, she, you know, she'd, you know, sift through and she would look for the phone, the, uh, the, the photos app. And, um, like she didn't want to call anybody. She didn't, I, I would download like, like kid games and she didn't want to play any of the games I download. She just wanted to look th- through pictures of herself. So she would go to the photos app. She'd look for a picture of herself. And she, if she saw a picture of herself, that was her super clearly, she'd stop and show me like, look, Caitlin. But if it was a picture she was in contextually with other people, like she would just flip by it and I would watch her do this. And I would trying to grab the phone out of her hand. And you know, like trying to get the phone out of, out of your kid's hand is like the hardest part of being an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, But in order for her to actually see these pictures of herself, she had to let go of the control that she had over the way she knew herself. Mm-hmm. Like if she could see herself super clearly, that's a picture of her, but it's, but if it's a picture of her with, like me, Uncle Darren, 
and a bunch of other people, she would flip right by. In order for her to stop and actually like like zoom in and see herself, she had to relinquish control. She had to unknow the way she knew herself in order to see herself uh, in the phone. Um, so those are the two stories that pop in on that mm, mm. Yeah, those are great. I mean, the story in India, you're just like, come on. Like this is where I'm at, the the people around me, there's there's so many cool things about that. One is just the perpetual incarnational possibility of every moment. You know, this mm. is all happening all the time right now. And if we're awake and we pay attention, there's fullness here. Sometimes it's as present, but... And that's always been, I think, a core of my faith is you're reading the text of reality and how God is speaking to you through that person and, you know, what what they're doing with the sand or as you're reading, interpreting, making connections with your daughter and the phone. You know, I find that to be so important as a person who's a a coach and a guide, you know, who's pastored and done these distinct but obviously connected things that you do for people, you know, over time, tell me about the importance of like that, you know, cause there's yeah. sometimes I'll say like, you know, pastors can be good about at reading the Bible, but they're not good at reading their own hearts. A lot of, a lot of people are, we can be good about interpreting the scriptures, but not interpreting our actual life, you know, listening to our life and God showing up in and through and as our life. So as a person who's on the path, like, how do you do that? How do you trust that? What are those things where like that moment, that sand, there's somehow the spirit is connecting pieces for you somehow. Like how, why, like, how does that, how do we do that? How do we trust that? How do we pay attention? And why is that so important for our growth? So the, the, the practice in the middle of that has to do with being it moving slowly enough through my life to pay attention to the, to the moments that I'm in, mm. right? As opposed to I'm in this moment, I, I'm going to move past it. Like, I'm in this moment now and I'm going to move past it because I've got somewhere else I'm supposed to go. Um, I think of it's Acts chapter eight, Philip is told by the spirit of the Lord. This is the way it's recorded. The spirit of the Lord says, go south. And that's the only instruction. And that's it. There's no plan. Mm. It's just go south. Mm. And and I think that, like the second part of the instruction is just don't, don't go by, don't go by the main road, but that's like, there's no, like how fast, how far Mm. go south. That's it. And as he goes south, he comes across an Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot, like we all do. Right. And, um, in the, the only other thing he hears from the spirit of the Lord in, in the account is go to that chariot and stay near it. And that's the end of the instruction he gets from the divine voice is go south, open-ended. How far? Don't know. How fast? Don't know. Mm-hmm. And then the second instruction is go to that chariot and stay near it. There is no agenda. This is going to happen. This is what you say. There's just go to it and stay mm-hmm. near it. And he stands next to the chariot long enough that he hears the the eunuch in the chariot reading from the prophet Isaiah, and the story progresses from there. And this is a lot of mystery and interest from, from that point. But for me... His willingness to live open-handed, but what I tend to do is if the Lord, if the Lord says go south, I finish that sentence for God. Mm-hmm. Go south, 
and do these things. Go south mm-hmm. at this pace for this long. I finish that sentence all the time. I'm super uncomfortable with, or I have been, just go south. Mm-hmm. Much less go to that chariot and stay near it. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, am I not supposed to say something? Do I not have something to bring? No, just go stay near it and just wait. To live at the posture of open-handedness, to mm-hmm. be able to, able and uh, I guess is the real ball game, willing to receive what the moment has. Mm. I'm so unpracticed at that posture mm. that when I'm afforded a sacred moment, like a deeply sacred moment, I'm not ready for it because I want to even make something of it. Like Peter wants to, at the moment of transfiguration, mm. he wants to build okay. three, he wants to build three things. Like, mm. it's like Jesus is transfigured before mm. them. He's glowing. And Isaiah, or no, yeah, it's a, Isaiah and Moses show up and they're like, um, let's make something out of this moment. And mm. Oh my gosh. Like that's me. <laughs> and, and what Christ says to him, he's like, don't talk about this. I'm so unpracticed at, at not doing that mm. when I'm offered a moment in which there's something for me, I am committed to making something in the moment so that I don't receive what it is that's actually being offered me. Mm. The only way to prep my soul so that I can actually be prepared for those moments of, of, of like of, of sacred offering to me is to regularly remove myself from the protocols, from the mm, rhythms and from the machinery that wants to build things. I have to, mm, mm, I have mm. to remove myself from the machinery that wants to constantly build something. Mm. So Sabbath keeping rest, all the practices that, as practices prep our souls to be able to pause long enough when, so that when something beautiful, good, true happens, I can receive it for what it is and not move so fast into making something of it that I lose the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much of, you know, the the depth and the the truth and the goodness when we talk about the path when we talk about transformation when we talk about being present it's like there's no substitute for slowing down there's no mm-hmm. substitute for silence there's no substitute from it's just like honestly it's just like working out it's like they can have there's a new thing it's it's acai bowls you know now it's blue algae i, I feel like i'm just i'm totally prejudging because i don't live in you know i don't live in la but i'm like Sometimes from a distance, it appears to me, not just in LA, but it could be anywhere, you know, in, in spiritual people's yeah. lives is like, you're looking for this right exterior surface level based cocktail that's somehow supposed to make everything click and work. You know, it's like blue algae plus this, no, it's, it's, it's a like sound bath. No, it's the cold plunge. And, you know, I've done the cold plunges before, but it's like, or you can just be present long enough to realize you probably have to forgive your mom for something, you know, because <laughs> you like, it's so much easier to dip yourself into 30 gallons of ice though, than it is to talk to <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, <laughs> like depending um, on how things went with mom, that's easier. But yeah, you, you just, whether in the Christian tradition, the perennial tradition, the people who really know God, you don't find, you don't discover their poetry. You don't discover their wisdom without some sort of there's time away. Yeah. I'm away from these things. And often it can be geographical. It doesn't have to be across the country. It could be 10 minutes to a mountains. Like you said, removing from the machinery and the yes. things around you that constantly want you to do whatever your ego's default patterns are to just do things. Right. Right. Which is part of why I wrote the book from the posture I wrote 
book in is is that or from is it's not like like I, I I despise this this narrative in which like rest is the remedy for the awfulness of work. But no, 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 mm, no. Mm. your life is insanely good. I mean, this is actually true of like your listeners, my listeners, my readers, your readers, like your life is ridiculously good. In fact, if there is a sin that is prevalent among most of our readers and listeners, it is that we disparage the goodness of our own lives. Like mm, your, your life is insanely good. And you don't give enough credit for how ridiculous you have it. Mm. Like you've got it great. What rest does, it doesn't rescue from how terrible your life is. No, it gives you the, the altitude by which you can look back and be like, oh my God, this is an amazing life. Mm. What, mm. An inc- what an incredible gift I've been given in these relationships and in, in, you know, in these opportunities, in this job I've been you know talking crap about for two years. Like I like rest is and a departure from our regular lives gives us the altitude by which we can appreciate the gifts we have. So this work rest rhythm thing is mm-hmm. never about like you need enough rest to get yourself all like, you know, uh, drummed up and, and, and recovered so you can get back into the fight. Like, no, that's that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking mm-hmm. about having enough altitude, having enough space so that you can receive the goodness of the life you're actually living in and appreciate what you've got as mm. you live in it. That's, that's mm. the real ballgame. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I, I, I'm a, I cringe a little bit with like the way some people talk about like gratitude, you know, cause I'm like, that just sounds like your ego is just trying to do something you're supposed to do to be grateful as opposed to like the actual rest. Like my life is in this path, that rest moment experientially feels like I'm on the cliff looking at my life from a historical perspective, being like, this is where I wanted to be. Yes. I took that risk and like, I'm here now. And if I don't stop long enough, I really, I, I'm just experiencing it, but I'm not actually experiencing the depth of it because I can't slow down enough to like drink in the goodness of what it is. Yeah. And you have to, you have to practice that. You like, you, like everything wants you to move fast. Uh, your job wants you, move, uh, your job needs you to move fast because you need to get stuff done. Your relationships for the most part, which almost exclusively for most of us are predicated on utility. We're in most of our relationships because we're useful to the people around us. Mm. Um, like everything wants us to like have the moment and then move past it and get on to the next moment and to get useful, accomplished. Mm. We have to practice mm. slowing down. We don't just we don't just get to choose it in the moment. If you're trying, it's I mean, uh, you and I have talked about this before. It's like it's like the 15 minute quiet time thing. Like if I try to just insert my 15 minute quiet time and that's my spiritual life, like yeah, you're not like I'm not saying 15 minutes of quiet time isn't enough. I'm just saying your soul is practiced enough at recognizing mm. like the voice of God to that that's it, that can be enough if you're practiced at recognizing the voice of the divine in your life. But you're not practiced at recognizing the the divine voice in your life. So that 15 minutes is just mm. like space that you're taking mm. up. We have yeah, to practice yeah. hearing. We have to practice being alive. We have to practice thankfulness. Because mm. I'm with you with the with the whole like thankfulness practice. We just like make these random ass lists about like, this is the stuff I'm thankful for. But you're not really. You just made a list of stuff you think you should be thankful for. But you don't feel that in your own soul. Mm. You have- and also not to do it yeah and also there, there's a deeper thing of like sometimes when i like even like a gratitude list which is not bad in and of itself but i'm like yeah. there's a difference between being grateful for 
things in your life and the deeper experience of being grateful for the gift of your life that all of these things happen within. That is the kind of gratitude coming out of the grace and rest that like holds all those things together, you know, and actually animates them in those ways. Um, but yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about the book more specifically sacred strides coming out May 30th. Yeah. Looks awesome, man. You know, as a person who's oriented towards design, dude, it looks great. I'm glad that, you know, I see you posting about, it. I'm glad you're happy with it. It looks amazing. Dude. It's so cool. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, so you, you write, you know, my natural posture is not work, nor is my natural posture rest. My natural posture is belovedness and both work and rest spring from my belovedness and return me to it. So we're talking about work and rest, but there's actually something deeper and wider that both of those things exist within and gain their life from. How does that, I think, really profound, but also simple, you know, sort of, uh, reality how is that the foundation for the book right there you know what does that do to our work and our rest um so (laughs) i was saying to someone earlier the book in some ways is a little bit of a head fake like or at least the book pitch is a bit of a head fake so when folks ask like what's the book about uh, even on like the, the kind of let's see, program. Justin can't get away from the old evangelical clickbait. You see that he's like the can't old, no, no, not clickbait, the old bait and switch. He's like, it's about yep. work and rest. And he's like, actually, I just <laughs> want to tell you, God loves you. <laughs> yeah, if you drink this gallon of milk, I'll give you 200 bucks. Also listen to me talk about Jesus. So, um, but like I get, so, um, so it's in a way it's a head fake. So like, I I don't think if I pitch a book publicly and and I'm like, hey, um, this is about belovedness and this is about uh, connecting with the divine on a broad, deep level. I can think that's a tough pitch. I also I, like for a lot of us, it just sounds like over simple. Like, okay, I, you know, if I'm going to connect with the divine, I'm going to do this and this. Um, mostly because divine connection or um, or connecting with God in any way, shape, or form. Is, is like, that's the stuff we do outside of our normal lives. The way devotional life has been pitched to us is like, there's your life. And then there's this, then there's like, maybe this hopeful sacred connection you have, like, you know, in a periphery to your life. So the book is, let's talk about your rest work rhythms. And as we talk about your rest work rhythms, what I think we discover is, what I'm actually chasing when I want in work, um, satisfying a uh, soul level, uh, like joyful work, what I'm actually chasing is an experience of whole life, an experience of like deep. What I really want when I chase a, like a good job is even if I'm chasing financial security, what I'm really chasing is peace. I want to experience peace. Exactly. I don't want to worry. I want to be like the lilies of the field. If I want to chase a job in which I'm making an impact, what I'm really chasing is belonging in the kingdom. Like I want which, to know. Which I, I, have, I have to cut you off for a sec because, you know, with a lot of churches like focus, they like Dave Ramsey over the years, you know, financial peace or whatever. Yeah. I remember even like 10 years ago, like leaning to my friend being like, if you want financial peace, like you should do spiritual practices. 100%. Because it's not the money. It's this. It's the sense of feeling safe. Or whatever no. it is you want, you know, so I'm with you. It, it, and so I want to affirm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what do I want to affirm is like for folks who are scared to death of spiritual practices or think like or associate 
like uh spiritual direction with witchcraft. I'm like, okay, cool. I don't want to fight that battle. That's cool. Like whatever you're over there. What I want to say is your desire to make enough money so that you don't have to worry about money is this is rooted in the same place as the desire of this, of the desert mothers and fathers who just left it all and left for the desert because what you wanted is a sense of peace in your soul because you don't want to worry about money. You want to know that you're provided for. Mm. So the book is, in you know, hopefully a way to say like you want, you know, you want to develop a work rest rhythm. What I think you really want is I think you really want a sense of belovedness in your life. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk about work mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about rest. And we're going to talk about them not as not, not as monoliths unto themselves. We're going to talk about these as practices and doorways into a deeper uh, experience and practice of your own life in which what you know is that you are loved, cared for, um, and seen exactly as you are. So my natural posture is in work. I feel in my bones a desire to work. My natural posture is in rest. I experience regularly a need and a desire for rest. Both those things point to a very, very, like a a much deeper, more fundamental need and desire for me, which is to belong to the divine Uh and to live centered and at peace. And with that deep shalom that you and I've talked about multiple times, we're like, my whole life is good. Work can't get you there by itself. Rest can't get you there by itself. But in the practice of these two things, I can experience a much deeper sense of connection with my own life and with the God who holds it together. Mm. That's so good. Yeah, it's it's so great to be able to affirm what people are doing, why they're doing it, but place that energy and how they're doing it within a larger thing of like, that's fine, but it's that's actually about this, which is actually about this. And here's the connection. Cause it like it it does lead us there. You know, when you have the eyes to see over time, you know, you can see how that works and what people desire. That's why like even when people are frustrated, whether it's friends or family who piss you off or whatever, I'm like, but there's always an inner logic to why they do that. Yeah. And there's an invitation for you in, in, in the moment. Like, even if I can't get to their inner logic, there's still an invitation for me. It's not just like a terrible moment. Like what's in that for me? Mm. And what do I do? What do I do with that? What's this inviting me into? Why am I as irritated as I am? What does that say about me? It's your family member might be shitting on your dreams, but it's actually because they love you and they're projecting their own fears of failure. So just know they love you, but also you don't have to listen and you don't have to eat. And when you go to dinner, you can end it after an hour and a half instead of lingering for four. These are boundaries in our relationships. (laughs) (laughs) Bro, the four hour dinner, we've all been. (laughs) One of the things you say is, you know, I think God simply wants to be with you and me. It's connected to what we were just talking about. And earlier, even when I talked about the framework you had of work and rest being connected to this river running beneath a belovedness and what that means. When I say that's a simple framework, I don't mean simplistic or unintelligent. I mean, it's a simple image and way to, or conceptual framework to understand things that are so profound. The, the conceptual part of so many of the most important things are simple. The experiential, the moving into it, the practices that facilitate, that's the hard work because that's the actual work of our life. It's not just a head trip at that point. So when you say, I think God simply wants to be with you and me, that sounds simple. 
Yeah. That might sound simplistic to people, but what is the profundity and power of that experientially for our lives in this invitation to a healthy sacred strides of work and rest? Yeah, so the, the, the spiritual movement is not from complexity to simplicity. The spiritual movement is from is from cognitive ideology to embodied practice. That's the <laughs> that's such a good way of saying that. So, like, so conceptually, God just wants to be with you. You're like, fine, great, done. I'm I'm finished. Good, I get that totally. Great. But then I pay attention to my live reality, and like everything out, everything about the way I practice my life. This is many many years ago. Everything way, everything about the way I practice my life screams of anxiety. I don't, yeah, like, I don't, don't believe want, that. Right, right. I don't really believe that. So it's never about like, this is this, there's, the, the, you know, the world is complex. I want to make it simple. That's all happening in your head. That's philosophy and all that's fine. That's useful. But where I actually, where I actually experience the spiritual journey is in my practice, my embodied practice of life. So I don't actually care <laughs> how you, <laughs> how you articulate mm -hmm. divine truth. I don't mm -hmm. care. You name it what you want to name it. Call it a banana pancake. Mm. You can't embody that if you're not embodying banana pancake. Mm. Like, what, what's that look like in practice? Mm. How do you how do you embody banana pancake? Mm. So, so God just wants to be with you is a really sweet, cute idea. Let's make a movie about it. But as an as a life practice, like like that's a that's a um, that's a nearly impossible way, and it's a nearly impossible way to live. Mm. Uh, because I'm so entangled by other things, including mm. my ideologies. So the story mm. in the book that that comes from, and talk about complexity. You know, uh, you and I have talked about my dad a bunch. Um, you know, my dad was my hero growing up. Like so many kids, um, just adored him. Thought he was amazing. He was. He was brilliant, hilarious. Like, like I'm a funny guy. My dad was way funnier than me. I'm a hardworking guy. My dad was a super hard worker. Um, I loved the way he lived his life for the most as a child. Like I was like, I think this guy's a hero. Um, I didn't know how much darkness was happening underneath the surface. Mm. So I, I, when I watched my dad get ready for work in the morning as a child, um, I like I wanted that. Like he would get mm. up at like five thirty, five forty five before that, and shower, shave. He he put on. <laughs> He would wear um, Old Spice, which is like, it was like, I don't know if there was like a law at that point where like all men were required to wear Old Spice, but he did. He had Old Spice, he put on the Old Spice and had the, the undershirt and he put on the tie and like he had this routine. I was like, I want that. Mm -hmm. um, by the time I had become a, a young adult, like I was still there. Like I I loved the way he lived his life. I just wanted to be around him. I, I liked him. So you know, he, he developed this, this joy and this love of jogging. So it wasn't just his work life. He had this hobby that he loved. I'm like, great. I just want to be, I want to learn to work like you so I could be like you. And then as his work life fell apart, same, same, his body started to fall apart. Mm. And our last run together, like literally the last jog we ever took together, um, he, his, his knee hurt. He had this like, uh, you know, several physical problems. And he was so frustrated that he could, we'd planned on this five mile jog and we got about 
a mile and a half in and had to turn around. And he was so frustrated and disappointed. He's like, I'm so sorry. I can't finish the jog. And it was like, everything in me like knew, like, I don't care about the five miles. Like I'm not out here to get five miles in. I just want to be with you. Hmm. That's why I showed up. Was I just So when we talk about complexity and simplicity, when we talk about embodiment, like it's one thing to say, you know, I just want to be with you in concept. But when I just want to be with you is we're going to walk a mile and a half with me, with my dad. And my dad was 5'11". I'm 5'6". With my dad's like weighty arm around my shoulders because he can't finish the last mile and a half without help. That's what it looked like in that moment for me to just want to be with my dad. Yeah, you can call that simple if you want. But like the kind of transformation, the kind of embodiment, the kind of love, the kind of interpersonal connection it takes to have that moment. That's not, mm. you know, call it simple if you want to dismiss it, but mm. that's anything other than easy. Mm. So the movement is never from complexity to simplicity. The movement is from ideology to embodiment. Mm. Can I actually live? I just want to be with you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and I, and I'm, I'm glad I feel like that movement and the awareness of that for people of faith who pay attention to podcasts like this, people have probably been in, come through, maybe still are at, maybe move beyond the church and, and whatever, wherever people are in their journey. I think the wisdom of the body and the experiential, you know, is a big next movement for a lot of people of like yes. beliefs are helpful. And especially at earlier stages of your life, but they don't set you free. The experiential, like not what do you believe, but do you know for yourself? That's an important movement, you know, and, and with the way you say it, you know, as, as we wrap up in about five minutes, here, here's a question I have for you, you know, work and rest. There's belovedness beneath that, that grounds, animates and gives, uh, you know, uh, the energy and the life, you know, not just to do those things, but to do them both well. Right. Mm -hmm. Those two are both are, are connected to the same whole and are, are grounded in something much deeper in our belovedness, which I agree with as well. You know, when you say what I want is to live, what I want is to live a full life with God, both in work and rest. And I want the same for you. Mm -hmm. Now, this sacred strides, the connection between work and rest based on personality and feel free to push back on this if you want. But based on personality, from what I see it feels like the lifelong journey for people is it's for some people, it's harder to trust and live in the rest. Yes. And for other people, just based on personality, it's harder to give themselves fully to the work, which is courage, which is living up to the edges of myself, which is giving okay. everything I have. What, okay. what is your, you know, you're saying you want the fullness of life for both of them what is the word for the people who have a harder time resting? And what is the word for the people whose lifelong journey is like, there's things to do and you have things to give, like, let's go. Like they don't have to rest. They probably have a propensity to like sloth and apathy at times, okay. you know, okay. what is the word to each one of them? You know, cause same journey, but different focus for each of them based on their default patterns, coping mechanisms, et cetera. Yeah. Get help. <laughs> That's it. Get help. You won't finish. Get help. You can't get there. Mm. Go find people. So, and and again, like, this is why I love conversations with you is like, you'll resonate with this is like, I, I could, you know, you and I are smart enough guys. We get to like develop a program. 
and it would work for people for a certain populace of people and then it it maybe it would work well enough to go say hey this is the thing the thing is never the thing the thing is always like the thing that works for a certain populace of people mm-hmm. like works for totally. you know maybe even like a critical mass of persons cool great there's still people who aren't part of that critical mass get help go get mm-hmm. a spiritual director mm-hmm. go go get a coach develop like like real ass friendships with actual mm. humans who really do love you. Mm. Um, you cannot get there conceptually. You have to get there in practice mm. and no, you know, go, going back to the Lakers <laughs> that you can't find at like a truly great professional accomplished athlete who actually practices their thing by themselves. Mm. No one. Does. Mm. You want to get great at taking 17 foot jumpers and playing D you have to, you have to have a team. You got to have a coach. Heck, even though now the standards more like 26 footers, you know, is the norm. You know, when, when we were, when we were young, 17 foot, 17 was the standard. <laughs> like, like the, maybe the most highly individualized sport there is in, in, in the world. Like you want to run a great hundred meters. Like some of my favorite athletes in the world are like, there's this kid running a few Uganda right now. He ran, he, he ran like a nine, like a nine, eight, three last week, monster athlete, insane, brilliant guy loves the Lord, which is fantastic. Dude's got a team of like 10 or 12 people. Mm, like you want to be great at living your life. You have to surround yourself with people who are actually in it with you. So regardless of, and this is why, you know, and you and I write books in the same posture. It's a book, bro. You're going to finish this in a few hours. All I hope to do is like to prod this thing in your mind and then your soul that's like, I want more than what I've got right now. Cool. You should go get help. My book can't really help you. It can stir the desire in you to get help. Go get a, go get a spiritual director. Go find a therapist if you don't have one. Start developing friendships with people who actually live, okay. like, actually give a shit about you. Mm. And that's the actual word. Because then mm. they can actually diagnose actually prescribe and actually help because it's your life and not just some idea mm, of mm, that's so great yeah i love how grounded and real that is you know because that part is true for everybody everybody the help the coach the networks and those people then can help you see with more clarity what this specific part of your path looks like for compared to mine because I feel like even from you saying like, you know, my propensity is to make something, you know, we probably have different journeys towards the wholeness mm. where it my posture, if things get bad or relationships and my default pattern is like, I never cared about them or this in the first place. I'm cool. You know, like it's like effort. I won't no, I'm, 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 I'm total. I'm the ambulance chaser. I'm like, is stuff wrong? <laughs> Overdrive, driving in the middle of the accident. Like where's everyone wounded? How do I fix it? That's my, yeah. and, and my thing is it's always like, can I have the courage to really try and really care? Whereas other people, they're never going to have to ask that because they're going to keep doing by default. Their thing is like, can I stop for a sec and just, just take some deep breaths and be like, I'm I'm okay. If I don't, if I don't send these 32 emails off today, you know, can I just let people love me? Can I, and can I love the life around me right now without trying to manage or work the life around me right now? So that's why I'll, I'll, I'll kill it with this is, is my, like one of the moments in the book for me, like it's, it's, and you know, this, so like there are these moments, it's like a tiny little moment in the book, but you know, it was momentous is I tell the story about like doing, doing one of these presentations, talking about Sabbath keeping and, uh, and someone in the, someone in, in, in the group that I was teaching 
uh, with and talking with was like really not okay with the message. They were like, you're talking about taking 52 days a year off my work calendar. Like you, you're one, like that's insane. But his big deal was like, you're, you can't possibly be serious. That's what he said to the director of the program. He's like, he can't be serious. Like, and his job was, he's like, my job is too important. I can't take, you know, this time off. So when she told me, like she, she messaged me because he went to her instead of me, which like, whatever, but he goes to her. He's like, this guy's nuts. I can't believe you had him in like 52 days a year. Sabbath this is ridiculous. My job's too important. She comes to me. She says, why not let you know, I had a conversation. He's kind of a big, like, he's kind of a big deal in the organization that we're, we're talking to. So you should know. And then immediately the thing that went off in my head was like, I want to go talk to this guy. I like, I need to go, like, I make an extra time, sit down, help him get it right. But because I done like a little bit of work and made like a sliver of space <laughs> in my soul for the Holy Spirit, like the other voice in my head was like, hey, 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 that's not your job. You need to rest in this because you did what I asked you to do. I've got him. He's not your responsibility. Mm. You telling the truth I've given you, that's your responsibility. If you want to love him well, leave him up to me. Mm. If you want to be an asshole, go ahead and make the call. But that's not your job. Mm. It was like this like sincerely momentous moment for me where like I stopped. I chose against that, mm. that posture knee. It was mm. like, I want to fix everything and make it right and actually chose to trust the actual divine process mm, that I wanted to participate in anyways. And mm. now I actually felt like I'm participating mm. in the divine process in mm. this person's life as opposed to making it happen. It changed everything for me. Mm. And I love ending with that story now because that story is the fruit of what you're talking about. You know, the, the work and rest, like enough space being grounded just enough in the beloved to take that second allows yeah. you to make decisions out of that place of belovedness, as opposed to winning him over doing what you do. Or I'd be like, you don't know shit. Let me just withhold love from him passively aggressively <laughs> when he sees me. <laughs> Both of those exactly would be right. our de default thing. So it's funny. My moment of courage would be like, actually, when I see him, I can talk to him. Yours is like, yeah. I don't have to rush in to do it. And exactly. both of those are the fruit of us trusting in that, which is, amen, which is amen. great, man. So yeah, Sacred Strides, May 30th, 2023. Also, I didn't mention I had a, you know, the, the honor of writing one of the endorsements for this, which is really cool. And, you know, I'm grateful even to be asked to do it. So yeah, man, I love our time together and glad whatever, even the times we shared through the podcast, man, I, I'm grateful for the connection that we have through it. So Yes, if it's go get that book, pre-order it. If it's not out, if it is, go check it out right now. And uh, Justin, man, I appreciate you. Dude. This is so good. Love you tons. Thanks for making some space, man. All right.